0: You are listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are your hosts, Evie McLeod and Lindsay Roman. Today, you are in for a treat. That's a pun. You'll understand it in a minute. <laughs> Today, we got to have a conversation with the brilliant and wonderful Candace Nelson, the founder of a little company called Sprinkles, aka the first cupcake bakery and cupcake ATM. You might have heard of it. You 100 percent have. And if you haven't, you've seen the photos, I'm sure. Candace is a serial entrepreneur, a New York Times best-selling author, Wall Street Journal contributor, and an expert in turning one's passion into a profitable business. Candace revolutionized the baking industry when she left her career in finance to start Sprinkles, the world's first cupcake, bakery, and cupcake ATM, like I mentioned. And then she followed that with the launch of Pizzana, a growing chain of award-winning pizzerias. She continues to expand her portfolio of investments as an angel investor. And with her passion for mentoring entrepreneurs, she just released her new book, Sweet Success, a simple recipe for turning your passion into profit this past November. Today, we talk with Candice all about the financial side of business startups. She breaks down for us all the different types of funding methods that you can use as an entrepreneur, the pros and cons of each how to think like an investor when starting your business and how to go about finding an investor for your business or your idea. She also breaks down when you should consider taking that step and just literally so much more. This episode is just packed full of detailed insight into the financial backend strategy and mindset that you should have as a CEO focused on building a profitable and thriving business. Seriously, Candace brought so much wisdom, personal experience and insight to this conversation and we cannot wait for you to learn from her today. So let's cut to the theme song so we can absorb all of the info together. You ready? Let's go. All right. Do you want to be a destination
1: wedding photographer, but you feel like you can't because you live in the freaking middle of nowhere? Like, anyone (laughs) relate? Just a few years ago, we felt that hard. As two girls born, raised, and starting our businesses in the smack dab middle of the Midwest, it took some serious strategy and planning to get booked as a destination wedding photographer. It wasn't easy, but it
0: is possible, no matter where you're based. We're here today to give you the tools we learned through our process to help you pursue destination wedding photography. To do so, download our free guide, Six Tips to Break into the Destination Wedding Industry for a pep talk and learn our strategies to get your business booked out the wazoo in places that you've been dreaming of for years. Go to theheartuniversity.com forward slash destination to grab the freebie.
1: Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Candace, welcome to the Heart and Hustle Podcast. Thank you for your time today. We are so excited to talk.
2: So excited to chat with you, ladies. Oh, this oh is man, gonna
1: be so fun. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay, before we dive in to the meat of the episode, are you willing to kind of give us the foundational overview of? Who you are, your story, kind of a little bit about yourself.
2: Of course. So I am probably best known for starting Sprinkles Cupcakes, which was the original cupcake bakery. We opened our, and I say we, it was my husband and I who founded it, opened our first retail store in Beverly Hills in 2005. And there was a cupcake phenomenon that ensued. I am now uh, working on a new concept. It's a pizza concept called Pizzana, Neo Neapolitan Pizza. We have almost four, like almost four locations in LA. One is about to open and we just opened our first in Dallas, Texas, but throughout it all, this theme, um, the through line really is in elevating simple foods, um, and surprising and delighting people with foods they thought they knew. So sort of, you know, presenting foods that we already love, but in new and thoughtful and creative ways. Oh, yes. I love that. I know. I we are obsessed
0: with you. We love we love everything <laughs> that you're doing. Um I know our audience is like, "Wait, that's the girl who started Sprinkles. That's amazing." Um so I am so getting giddy for just like the nerdiness that we're about to dive into in this conversation. <laughs> but basically, today we're going to dive deep into finances, funding and investing. And so just to start us off, can you break down like what are the different ways that someone can fund a business? Because I think most people, especially our listeners, like naturally think, okay, there's only like two options that they can either go into debt to start a business or just use their own money that they already have. But we'd love to kind of start off this conversation by widening the lens a little bit for just the options that people have when kind of funding a business. Yeah, of course. You know, um,
2: Sprinkles was bootstrapped. It was an idea that no one believed in, and no one really thinks of bakeries as sort of high growth businesses anyway. So I don't think we would have been eligible for or interesting to any angel investor or venture capital fund anyway. But um, but also, just nobody thought it was a good idea. So <laughs> we we were left with the, our, the only other option, which was to bootstrap, and we pooled our you know the money we had in the bank from the few years we'd been working in our careers and gave ourselves that amount of time to, you know, develop the recipes, come up with the brand, find a location, um, you know, renovate it and basically start this business and and get it to a place where it was cash flowing and self-sustaining. So, mm-hmm. you know, it got scary there for a while because it took us a long time to find a location and, you know, we were living as scrappily as we could. I, I tell some stories in, in my book, Sweet Success, about what that meant in terms of sacrifice. And, you know, of course, once you do have success in your business, it's not like you're taking home a big paycheck. You're Using all of that money to invest in your business, so that you can continue to grow and mm-hmm. and develop some amount of scale, so that it that it is more sustainable. Um, so bootstrapping was the way we went. What's great about bootstrapping, even though it's scary, and you're you know using all of your resources that are have been. Tucked away in in your bank account, is um is that when you do if you do sell your business you own all the equity in that business. So you know about eight years into the Sprinkles journey, Charles and I brought in a significant um, we sold a significant stake in Sprinkles and brought in a strategic operating partner and stepped away from the business. So what that meant was you know he and I were the ones who got paid, not a whole laundry list of investors. Now not everybody has that money at their disposal. And you have to be also really realistic about that money. Like you can't just say, okay, this is the amount that I think I need to start my business. You also have to factor in your living expenses, your rent, like, you know, whatever you are planning to eat that month, that all goes into what you need to account for in terms of startup costs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the other thing that I think is is really a great way to go is if you have someone in your family who's willing to loan you the money um, and they say, you know, in with between family and friends, sometimes they say, make sure you're loaning that money without the expectation of getting it back. But certainly as someone who's borrowing it, have the expectation of paying it back. Mm-hmm. And and what's great about loaning from, you know, a friend or a family member who maybe has the resources is that they'll give you, you know, a low interest loan or maybe just, just a, a loan with like, better terms than what a bank would give you or put you through. Mm-hmm. Um, and ob- obviously then there's the, there's maxing out your credit cards and, you know, it's, it's definitely a fun story um, when you can tell it later and and you were a success, but it's not such a pretty story if you get yourself into debt and you can't get yourself out of it (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) that's a less pretty story um Mm -hmm. but i am you know there's a lot more available these days in terms of funding like i am mentoring a couple of bakers right now who are crowdfunding and donations funding their first retail bakery Mm -hmm. um you know if you have built up a customer base and and you want to launch a product or you're trying to open a store like going out to your customer base and uh, trying to, you know, fundraise from them in terms of, you know, you can do it with accredited investors. So like, you know, people who are able to invest at a certain amount, or you can also do it, you know, on a crowdfunding basis where people are just, a lot of people are donating a little bit. Um, And then one of these bakers is even just using a GoFundMe page um, Mm -hmm. to, to fund her first business. So there's a lot of different ways to go. I am also an angel investor. So I'm constantly getting, you know, um, business owners, startup business owners with an idea or who have like early, you know, sort of are early in their process, um, in terms of starting a business, sending me pitch decks and, um, I'm constantly evaluating those businesses, but really if you're getting professional investors, Involved, they are going to expect a liquidity or exit event at some point, um, which mm-hmm. means that you are building your business so that it is a high growth enough and eventually has, you know, um, the expectation of a IPO or a, a sale.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. I love this. Okay, so for the listener, Candace, who's sitting here, like just had their whole world of opportunities kind of expanded to them. Who's like, Hey, I've had this passion or this dream, whether it's actively in progress, like a side hustle that they're working on and they feel ready to take it to the next level, but they need that capital up front. Or, you know, they are working with an idea in their mind right now and looking for the capital to even get the idea off the ground. What would you say is like top tips or recommendations or things that, someone should kind of have in mind when it comes to the investor side of things, whether it's approaching a family member or an actual, you know, angel investor or approaching a bank, I guess just the, do you have any like thoughts on, like you mentioned pitch decks, just different things like that to kind of get someone's foot in the door of looking for an investor?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of templates online that you can use in terms of building a pitch deck. And a pitch deck is really taking you through all the things you should be thinking about anyway as you start Mm -hmm. this business, which is... You know, what is your thesis? Like, what is your idea? Why do you think that it has value? What is the market? How big is the market? What is the opportunity there? Do you have any early signs of traction, or is this just sort of like a pie in the sky idea that you think might work? Right? Investors are, are a lot of times, but depending on at what stage they're investing in, they're going to want to see some signs that there is actually a demand for whatever it is you're putting out there. Um, And then just like, what is your right to win is an expression that a lot of sort of venture capitalists use, which is why are you the right person to be starting this business? Um, What Mm -hmm. is your competitive advantage? What is your go-to market? Which is if you're just launching this business for the first time, how are you planning to get it in people's hands? How are people going to know about it? Um, So there's Mm -hmm. a lot to think about, uh, but I'd say the most important Thing is, is there um, a demand for your product? And so, kind of leaning into what, um, how you're going to figure that out, right? Like, if you can do some sort of early testing, whether you've been side hustling it. Like, I was baking out of my West Hollywood apartment before I opened a store and I started to take on some you know, word of mouth. My phone started ringing faster. I was, it was like, I had this small but devoted and also quickly growing following. And so that was just enough of sort of the traction I needed to understand to have the courage to go all in on my idea. Mm, I love that. I would love to actually
0: maybe back up a little bit in your story because you had mentioned that you bootstrapped sprinkles. What was like that journey like? I guess like what made you start Sprinkles in the first place? Just for anybody that doesn't know or that kind of wants a deeper insight into like the behind the scenes of your specific story starting that company.
2: Of course. So... I actually came from the corporate world. I started in investment banking and then I went to work at a technology company during the dot com boom, which you guys, I think, are too young to really remember that. Um, (laughs) And then then there was the dot com bust and I was out of a job and then 9 11 happened and I was doing all this like self reflection like, what is this path that I've been on? Is this, you know, what I want to continue? And the answer to that question was really a resounding no. I wanted to. Really, do something that brought me joy and it wasn't just a paycheck. And so I reclaimed my early love for baking and decided to go to pastry school instead of business school. And then turned to reinventing the lowly cupcake because back in, you know, 2001, whenever that was, people bought their cupcakes at Ralph's for 75 cents. There was nothing special, there was nothing luxury about them. They really were just a commodity. And i I had grown up overseas, so I had developed this real almost like, almost like a outsider's fascination with America. And that translated to my love for baking American treats. And the cupcake is so uniquely American. And um, I remember walking through a supermarket one day and seeing all these stacks of, cupcakes in plastic clamshells and thinking, oh, those cupcakes look so sad. Like the cupcake really needs a makeover. <laughs> so I set about reinventing the cupcake, starting with the ingredients, then, you know, uh, all the way through to the um, technique. Uh, we used a just-in-time baking technique where we staffed bake shifts of bakers throughout the day, whereas the, you know, traditional bakeries would only staff one in the morning and bake off what they thought they needed for the day. And also the style of the frosting, um, the type of wrapper, the way that they were displayed in the store, the actual sprinkle or decoration on top, which we call the modern dot. That was like me taking the traditional sprinkle and reinventing it into something modern. So really reinventing something that we all loved but and were nostalgic for, but wasn't, really wasn't that special and um, representing it in a totally new way. Oh, I love this. Okay.
1: So from from your thought process then, once, you know, cuz obviously Sprinkles is exploded over the years, what was your thought process with your newest company because you mentioned it's what was the name of it? Something oh, pizza. P- Pizzana. Pizzana. Okay. What was your thought process with Pizzana? I would love to hear like that like almost the sequel to your journey with like Sprinkles.
2: Well, you can imagine, you know, Sprinkles was really like my first child. I started Sprinkles before I had children. So I treated it like my first child. And just like a child, I feel like a small business, you know, it, it's so much hard work. It's so many hours. It's so exhausting, but so rewarding. And just when you think you have a handle on it, that it'll have like a growth spurt. And then you're like, over <laughs>
0: so, <Right>? true. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it was, I was so identified with this business. I mean, I was on Cupcake Wars. I was on Sugar Rush. People called me Mrs. Sprinkles. It was like me through and through. So when I stepped away from the business, I really felt very unmoored for a while. I was like, wait, who am I if I'm not running Sprinkles? And that took a minute. So when I actually met our head chef, Daniele Uditi, accidentally at a pizza party, took one bite of his pizza... He um, had just come to the country from Naples, Italy, and it was love at first bite and went over to him and started talking to him about his pizza. And we realized we had like the same fascination for taking simple things and elevating them. And we were very simpatico. And he shared with me that he would always wanted to start a restaurant and I couldn't help myself. I was like, I, I could see it. I could see how it would all come together, how the branding would happen, the story I would tell. And I was like, I want to do that with you. And so in terms of sort of starting over in this way, it was exciting, but it was scary in a different way because with sprinkles, you know, everybody said it would never work. You know, all my friends who knew me from finance were like, what is she doing? She's having an early midlife crisis. She's like <laughs> supposed to be going to business school. She's going to pastry school. And then we opened this, you know, really upscale cupcake bakery, the height of the you know, low carb diet. So everybody thought we were nuts there were no expectations of success. But here we were having scaled Sprinkles. Sprinkles is a national brand. And now we're opening a pizza restaurant in the heart of Brentwood. And there was so much expectation for our success, right? Mm -hmm. And the media was writing like, here's the couple behind Sprinkles and they're opening pizza. Like what's the deal? Like where everyone was watching. And I felt this intense pressure that was like, I didn't have on the, on the first go round. I felt so free on the first go round because nobody expected anything from me. Yeah. And, and here I was, I was like, I felt almost like I was melting under the pressure of it all. So it was much harder actually, almost the second time around.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That makes so much sense. Well, yeah. I, Cause like all the, all the expectations of your first success are like Doubled. Like everyone's watching you doubly and being
1: like, oh, well, this one's going to be even bigger or, you know, whatever. And you're like, ah, I'm still not sure it's going to work at all. Like,
2: (laughs) It's still an entrepreneurial venture. It's still a risk. You're still like putting yourself out there in the most vulnerable way. And you don't know, like you hope and you dream and you have this vision, right? But you still, at the end of the day, you're not hundred percent sure. If it was a hundred percent sure, it wouldn't be a risk. It wouldn't be entrepreneurship, right? Everyone would be doing it. So, so it's like, oh, you got to still show up and, 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 you know, in the best way possible, but it is, it is hard when you have that expectation around you.
0: Yeah. Totally. Totally. Okay. So I, to bring us back to investing. So I like, I feel like I took the conversation. I was like, wait, talk about spring. Okay. (laughs) Um, when we're looking at kind of all of the different ways to fund a business, Could you share to our listeners how to know which one is right for them? Or do you you think it's like more of a gut feeling? Like, or is there like parameters of like, oh no, you should go with this route. You should go with this route. Like what, I guess, what,
2: how do you decide? Well, for me as an investor and where I'm coming from, I think a lot through the lens of like, you know, a professional investor, an angel investor, a venture capital fund. And, and people read a lot about that. There's a lot of noise about that these days. Um... But not every business is meant for that. Like, as I said before, unless you have a business that is meant to scale, be a high growth business that will ultimately could be um, a business that someone, a strategic partner would buy or a private equity firm would buy or um, merge with, um, you have to have some sort of liquidity event for a a professional investor to be interested because they're investing their money with the hope of a return, right? Um, So beyond that, like, you know, I think you have to think more creatively um, in terms of you know, basically leaning on your network. The people who are going to invest in you are the ones who know you best and who believe in you, or who already are a um, a consumer of your product or service, right? Because they they are they're already showing up for you. Yeah. Um, so I think you know the best way to fund your business is the business that's is the way that is going to offer you what you need without, um, with the minimum amount of downside. Right. So yeah. you, you don't want to, you know, get yourself wrapped up in debt because obviously that is, uh, they're going to be coming for you if you <laughs> can't pay your, you know, if you can't pay right. that off. I, I, I come from the place of, um, you know, crowdfunding is a great way to go. Um, as I said, donations-based um funding is is new and up and coming. And, and if people believe in you and you tell your story just right, it can really go a long way. Um and then you know, side hustling is obviously that wasn't even a thing when I started, but it's just incredible to see how people are able to do that. That one of the women who I mentor right now, she runs this, it was originally direct to consumer bakery called Blonderie. And, um, when she first came to me for mentoring, she, you know, was telling me all this traction she'd had in her business and she'd built up this wait list and she was doing things so creatively, like she was doing a pop-up bakery so that she could only do it during the busy, busy times of the year. And in between she was building this wait list and I was so impressed. And she goes, oh, and then I have my other full-time job. And I was like, what (laughs) What are you talking about? She was like holding down a full-time job while she was building this, incredible business, showing traction, building wait lists, uh, building a profitable business on the side. And so I think that is when you can do that and not have to take the risk of, you know, saying goodbye to, you know, a a full-time paycheck, that is a great way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, but not, you know, some businesses really take your full attention, obviously. And so that's when I would try to, you know, I'm just such a big fan of bootstrapping because you, Keep creative control and you're able to do things on your terms. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's such a personal decision.
1: I want you to imagine this for a second, working with your team on a project and you're just trying to do everything over email. Things seem to work well enough at the beginning, but once you start adding more than a couple of people or sharing more than a couple of files, the entire project becomes absolute
0: chaos. Legit, managing projects is honestly tough enough, but it's a struggle to juggle people, work, and expectations under pressure. But the problem is like many project management platforms make it even harder by overcomplicating things, leading teams to abandon tools when the promise fades and frustration sets in. That's when teams turn to Basecamp. Okay. Famously straightforward and effective, teams stick with it and projects thrive on it. Basecamp
1: makes it possible to collaborate on projects without having to waste time. Teams that use Basecamp send less emails and have fewer meetings. If you are struggling with projects and team communication, sign up for Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you all of their features in a single plan.
0: No upsells and no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash heart and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. If you are loving what you're hearing on today's
1: episode, then we wanted to share something else you might love, The Heart Shop. It's our digital resource online shop for creative entrepreneurs. The Heart Shop is your one-stop shop for all of our online courses, luxury website templates, PDF guides, social media graphic templates, and illustrations.
0: If you've been at your wits end with your website design and you don't know where the heck to create a high quality pricing or welcome guide to give your clients an incredible branded first impression, ooh, we got you. <laughs> we created the heart shop to serve you with the best tools and resources you need to successfully run your business. Just head to theheartuniversity.com forward slash shop and start browsing the goods. That's theheartuniversity.com forward slash shop. And we'll see you there.
1: Yeah, I think there's, you have to weigh the pros and cons of each. And I think one thing, you know, when, if somebody's totally unaware of the concept of having an investor, it can sound like, cause I know before I really got into entrepreneurship and exploring, you know, the concept of investing, I was like, oh, well, somebody's just going to hand me all this cash to build this business. That's great. No, there is there is so much, obviously, and I know you know this, Candace, like there is so much more that goes into it, including giving up control of your company, giving up decision-making rights, giving up, you know, um, just opportunities that may open the door later, but because you have, you know, an investor who has a decent amount of buy into your company, you have to go to them to get permission to do certain things. There's just, it's, it's not as cut and dry as baby Evie, you know, eight years ago would have thought before understanding a little bit more about the inside of the industry. And I, I'm with you on, I think every single one of Lindsay's and Maya's companies has been bootstrapped because yes, it's more stressful in some ways because it's your money on the line. But on the flip side, it's also like, but you are entirely in control. And so you get to kind of choose certain aspects of certain decisions, certain pivots, certain, you know, ideas you don't have to report to anyone. So what are your thoughts, I guess, just super quickly from like an angel investor's perspective, when it comes to crowdfunding, are you like just currently intrigued by it, kind of trying to figure it out? Or are you fascinated by it, have seen great results from it, have thoughts on it? Like just in general, what are your thoughts on the whole crowdfunding thing that you're seeing popping up?
2: Well, I believe there are, you know, with crowdfunding, as an angel investor... I love seeing founders who can't find, you know, get money in other ways using crowdfunding. I think it's a great way to go. Um, But if you don't reach your expectation, you don't reach your goal, you don't get any of the money with Kickstarter. Whereas on like a GoFundMe, um you you get that money regardless of whether you reach your goal or not. So there's a lot of nuance to it. And as an angel investor, I, I'm not investing in companies that are crowd, crowdfunded typically. Yeah. So there is a lot of nuance to crowdfunding. And I, I'm actually, to be totally honest, I'm not a, an expert on crowdfunding. I just think that there are a lot of platforms that are popping up these days that are making it easier for people to find angel investors, to, um, to raise money on, you know, by reaching a larger number of people who aren't accredited investors and so on. So lots of creative ways that are available now that weren't in the past. And it's great to explore those. But to your point, like, yes, in getting an investor is, it, it sounds really glamorous, but there is a lot that comes with it. First of all, when you're fundraising, that's taking time away from your business, operating your business, which is yeah. not ideal. It can be a full-time job. And then, yes, you are beholden to an investor's You know, depending on percentage of ownership, like their thoughts, their ideas, and ultimately at some point, like their their ideas can drive where you go with the business and may not be in line with what you want to do. So I am, you know, I'm a big believer in bootstrapping and side hustling, if at all possible. There were a lot of decisions that Charles and I made in the early days with Sprinkles that never would have passed the investor test. I mean, we really spent, we went all out on our first bakery. We bought. European fixtures. We went with like custom white oak cabinetry for a cupcake shop. Like, but people (laughs) walked in and they were like, they they felt this experience and they knew they were in a place that was unlike anything that they've they've been in before. Like, some people thought it was they were walking into a jewelry shop or an upscale boutique, and that was also important Mm -hmm. to the overall experience of what we were doing. But you know, not every investor is going to understand that. Yeah, totally.
0: Okay. I want to almost like break this down a little bit more for the listener that's listening that has like never even heard of the term angel investor or or didn't consider that an idea for business growth or building a business or funding a business until this episode. Can you just give them a breakdown of like what that actually looks like? Like almost like defining the term and and being like, okay, what does it mean to get somebody to invest in your business? And why are these three women talking about like downsides of that? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. So, so angel investors are, they're professional investors, but they they, actually, let me take that back. Angel investors are typically people who have found success in other parts of their life, whether they have scaled a business and sold it, or they've just, you know, um, have had professional success and are wanting to invest in private companies um and so it's not just venture capital funds who can do that if you are an accredited investor you can also buy Invest in a company, get equity for the money that you're putting in. They typically invest at a really early stage in the business. So, just to give you an example of one company that I'm an angel investor in, is Chroma Wellness. It's a um, five day reset, like a cleanse and a line of functional um, superfoods. And, you know, they came to me, they were building sort of an investment army, so to speak of angel investors. And, um, that's how they raised the money to launch their first product. And they needed that money because they were, you know, building the brand, they were building a product that they hope to scale, um, and to grow quickly. And they do hope for a a liquidity event at some point, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, but angel investors are, you know, like, they can write a check anywhere from, you know, 25K to 100K or more, whereas VCs are probably putting in more money and they need more of a percentage of the company. And there's going to be a lot more sort of um, red tape that will come with uh, venture capital um, investment. And they also won't typically invest at that early of a stage. I was investing before she really had a Viable product. She had just, you know, tested, was testing in her kitchen. She had, um, you know, used a focus group of some people to run the test, but she also was a proven founder. She had built and scaled a business called Beaming before that. So that's a place where I say, oh, you're coming out with a product in a market that I believe in, which I was really familiar with her competition, which was Prolon. And I'd done Prolon and I was like, you know, Prolon is effective, but it's not very, delicious. And here is Lisa Odenweller coming out with something that is not only beautiful and um, delicious and has the same results, it's also nutritious and it had all these added benefits. So she was, I thought, bringing a product into the world that was really needed. And I knew there was an established demand for.
1: That makes so much sense. For the, for the listener who is right now sitting here being like, hey, I love the bootstrap method. I cannot possibly do this for whatever reason whether their ideas just require so much upfront capital investment or you know whatever it is do you have any thoughts of, of here is how you can get in touch with angel investors here's how you can find out who is one here's how you can you know what to look
2: for yeah, um, yeah I guess just thoughts. so there's a great website called Angel List and you can search for angel investors and kind of angel investors typically will have some sort of thesis um or industry that they invest in you know more than others so you you it's obviously you want to approach angel investors but it's better to approach angel investors um uh, with an idea that you know they might already be interested in or already investing in mm-hmm. um and so angel list is one you can also just search on LinkedIn like if you search angel investor and then you search up the um, use a keyword for the industry that you're working in um, you know angel investor CPG or whatever um, you will you'll be able to search on that in LinkedIn that's become a really great place to I get a lot of um, incoming requests for to you know to look at people's decks and, and that sort of thing incoming deal flow on LinkedIn which is I think new and exciting but obviously it's always comes down to take stock of what you have which is do you know anyone in your network? who is an angel investor or who knows an angel investor Mm -hmm. and sit down, you know, run them through your pitch deck. If you know them and get their thoughts, Um, send them, send them your pitch deck and have them, you know, poke holes in it. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way to kind of make sure that you're, when you do have that opportunity to be in front of the angel investor that you've been like hoping for that meeting from that, you are, you know, showing your best self.
0: Mm, I love that. That's so good. Well, and kind of almost, thinking about obviously like what's going to make an angel investor say yes to somebody is like, is the business profitable or like is the idea that they have if they have not started it yet fundable. And so for anybody that wants to start a business and thinking about the things that they, they, they like they need to think about like, Hey, is there a demand for this product? Will people buy what I'm offering? How do you, I guess what, how do you know if an idea or somebody's idea out there is fundable or not?
2: Mm, well, you have to convince somebody that it is. (laughs) All (laughs) it takes is one. (laughs) And you know what? There are people who are investing for a whole host of reasons. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are investing for social, like social mission reasons, right? There are investors who want to fund underrepresented um, uh, founders and people who are very concerned about the environment. So they're, you know, wanting to find businesses that are operating sustainably. And so there are a lot of different ways to go about it. And angel investors are a little less concerned in general with how much of a return they're going to get on their money than a venture capital fund because they're investing their own money versus other investors' money. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I, for people who, I think it's important to just understand, like, if you have an idea that you think is even, scalable in some way first and foremost like is that your goal is is that is this a business that you want to operate forever um okay that's one thing if this is a business that you want to scale and potentially have a liquidity event someday then yes that that's potentially something that you want to then start scouring you know angel list and linkedin and your contacts for angel investors Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that makes sense okay wait Candace, are you willing to share from your perspective as an angel investor, what has some of your investment businesses, like what have they done that has stood out to you that's actually made you say yes to investing in them?
2: Well, I think it's a lot of different things. I think it starts with a really passionate founder. I think it starts with understanding the marketplace. Like I will sometimes see pitch decks come in and there are major competitors that I know of that are not represented on the, you know, landscape, the competition landscape. And that gives me pause because I think, oh, does this person really understand the market? Do they know what they're going up against? Um, And then, you know, are they bringing something to the table that is either new and differentiated enough or like a 10 times update on what already exists? Mm. It it can't just be a little bit better than what exists has to be a lot better. So because it's a noisy market. And so I think, you know, this idea of differentiation is, is really important. And then if you have a great founder who also is like, going to be a great brand ambassador, and has a great origin story, like I love the storytelling aspect of any business. And I'm a big believer that founders need to show up as you know, in their personal brand to amplify their business. So Mm -hmm. that, that speaks volumes for me too. Mm,
0: That's so good. I love those tips. Okay. Last kind of investing question. When should somebody like at, at what stage of business, I guess, should somebody look into potentially getting an investor? If that's the decision that
2: like, if that's the road that they're going down? I mean, it can be at any time. You, you can bring on an investor at just an idea stage, mm-hmm. but they need to believe in you. That's when they, you know, the founder is so important because they've got an idea, you know, sketched out on a piece of paper. But the problem is, the problem is, when you are bringing on an, an investor at that stage in the business, they're going to take a lot of your business, mm-hmm. right? Because your business isn't worth anything yet. Yeah. So that's what you always have to, and you know, as I was saying, bootstrapping to me is the best because you retain all that ownership. The earlier you bring on investors, the more equity you have to give away because the value of your company is not very much. Mm-hmm. That so, makes sense. So that's why, you know, if it's long the longer you can side hustle, the longer you can bootstrap. Do it, yeah. or if you want to bring on a co-founder who has the capital, and then you are, you know, keeping your equity in terms of sweat equity, right? So if you yeah. want to bring in someone who says, "Guess what? I'm, you know, going to put in fifty percent. Here's my money, but I'm not going to do very much," and you can retain fifty percent because you're going to be at the helm running it. That's a good way to go as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it.
1: I love all the ideas and the possibilities. I feel like you just opened in the realm of, you know, funding for businesses. I kind of want to pivot a tiny bit and talk about, it's not like a huge pivot, but talk about your book, Sweet Success. It obviously just came out. What is, like, what was your, your passion and reason for writing that? And what is like one of the biggest takeaways that you hope people get
2: from it? Oh, so I really want to encourage more people and more women in particular to embrace entrepreneurship. I feel like the media shows us one view, one vision of entrepreneurship, and it's usually, you know, (laughs) Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. And that (laughs) is pretty intimidating. That's pretty daunting to think about oh, I can only be an entrepreneur if I'm some sort of, you know, genius tech savant and I'm building rocket ships to the moon. (laughs) Entrepreneurship is such a spectrum as we know. And I wanted to share this story of building a really big and valuable business from something very simple, something that anyone could do. And I literally bootstrapped it, didn't have any experiences as an entrepreneur. It was deer in headlights and started out of my home kitchen. I mean, it really it, it really should be more accessible to people. And I didn't feel like there was a guidebook. There's a lot of memoirs out there. There's some like, you know, personal development books that are very inspirational, but I wanted to pair the mindset piece, which is the dream it part of the book, with also the more operational parts of the book, which is crafting a brand, building a brand, building a team and a company culture that that you know will help attract more people to your team. And then protecting it, whether it's in terms of intellectual property or finding more funding or scaling. And then what happens if you do have a liquidity event? Like what what then? So um, I really, you know, I've been mentoring, as I mentioned earlier, some women in my day-to-day life, but I wanted to help more women at scale. And so this was the way to go about that by writing this book.
0: Oh, I love well, you this so much. Are in good company. That is like that. This is what the show is. And I just love that you gave just our listeners just a little bit of a open door a widening of what the landscape is for entrepreneurship and especially for funding and getting their dream and and you know business off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um to end the show, we like to ask. First, a selfish question and then uh, and then a not selfish question. Um, but honestly, our, our listeners get a lot out of our selfish question too. Evie and I love to read and especially talking with incredible entrepreneurs like yourself and now an author. Uh, we just love to know what has been a favorite recent read of yours that you want to share with our listeners.
2: Mm, that's a really good question. I think what I would say that's been kind of the most helpful recently um, is this book called Essentialism by Greg mm-hmm. McKeown, I think is how you pronounce his name. Because I'm a very, and I'm sure your listeners can relate to this. When you're a creative entrepreneur, when you're like that creative founder person, um, you can have an idea a second and you can get distracted by all the opportunities that are coming your way, all the things you want to do, all the new ideas that you want to, you know, pursue. But it really boils down to when you're starting and building and growing a business. focus (laughs) Mm -hmm. is so important and really tuning out all the distractions and learning to prioritize is just essential. Um, you know, no pun intended with essentialism, but (laughs) he, he, he he offers so much great guidance in terms of how to do that. Cause it's one thing to say, yeah, you got to tune out the distractions, say no more than you say yes. It's another thing to understand how to do that. Excited about all the things that are coming your way, and you just want to keep creating. Um, so, I would recommend that book.
1: I love that; that's fantastic. I've read that book, and I recommend it repeatedly to people, just with how oh,
2: good. it like
1: shifts your focus. So, I love that; cannot second that recommendation enough. <laughs> okay, this is the non-selfish question that is a doozy. So, if you need a minute to think about it, feel free Ooh. to take as long as you need. But, what is the biggest lesson you've learned in
2: business? how important it is to just keep getting up again after you get knocked down. Mm. Like truly to me, entrepreneurship is just about that tenacity, that perseverance, and someone who will consistently get back up again after being knocked down will go much further than even someone who has the better idea, more talent, more money, because mm. it it's not just, are you going to get knocked down? It's really like, how many times, so <laughs> right? how many times you can hear the word no and just keep on going? How many times, you know, a door is closed and you open a window? It just, it sounds cliche, but it is cliche because it's true. Mm-hmm. It's all about perseverance when you are bringing something into the world that didn't exist before. Not everyone's going to have your vision. Not everyone's going to have your back. Um, and you need to just keep going regardless. Oh, I Amen. love that. That's a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: Candace, you have been a joy to talk to you today. I cannot wait for our listeners to hear this episode and just be obsessed with you. Where can they find you, follow you, read your book, just go to your location? Like everything. Like, where oh, can they?
2: Thank you. So, yes, yeah, <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Candace Nelson. You can find Pizzana at Pizzana, P-I-Z-Z-A-N-A, I think. Yeah, at Pizza on Instagram. And then we have four locations in Los Angeles. We just opened one in Dallas. And you can also order our pizzas frozen via Gold Belly if you want them shipped. Ooh. So that's fun. And that's a fun little holiday treat. Um, I also have a Substack. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on all the places all the time. And you can pick <laughs> up my book. Sweet success um, at your local independent bookstore, of course, preferred, but on Amazon as well.
1: I love it. Candace, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your experience that you've just shared with our listeners. I know they got so much out of it. I know Lindsay and I did too. So thank you for your time here today. It means the world to us. Thank you so, so
2: much. It was a pleasure.